uh, verses 16 through 26. Chuck, I'm going to give you a responsibility. I have a book that I want to recommend at the end. But I may forget it. And if I forget it, raise your hand. Okay? And if Chuck forgets, Donnie, do you mind if he forgets? Okay. We should be covered at this point. But I do want to say something about it. I'll say it later. But um, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Let me read it, and then we'll pray, and we'll jump in. The Apostle Paul writes the following. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we do thank you for the time that we've been spending in Galatians. We thank you for helping us to understand the gospel, what it means to be saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, what it means to have our sins forgiven because Christ was sacrificed on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins. Thank you for helping us understand what it means to be free in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would just continue to take us deeper into understanding this freedom that we have in Christ to live our lives for you and for your glory. And Lord, that's our desire. Our desire, because you have saved us, is to live in such a way that honors and glorifies you and brings you great glory. And so we trust you, Lord, and we ask that you would accomplish your good purposes through this word. That you would take this word and you would specifically apply it to our lives right where we're at today. That we might grow individually in our faith. That we might grow as husbands and wives and kids and bosses and employees and all these things. That we'd understand what it means for us to walk by the Spirit each and every moment of the day. So God, please help us now, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Well, I'm going to back us up just a bit to Galatians 5, verse 13, where Paul wrote the following. He said, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, we spent time last week on this section of Scripture, but I wanted to back us up for a little bit because I just, I just want to remind us that we are called to be free in Christ Jesus, that we are free. If you're a believer, you are free in Christ Jesus. You're free from the law's demands because Christ fulfilled the law in our place. And so our hope is in Christ alone for this freedom. We are free from God's wrath because Jesus has exhausted the wrath of God for all of our sins, past, present, and future, on the cross. And so when we were joined together by faith in Christ, our sins and the penalty for our sins have been forgiven and that penalty has been exhausted. And so we're free from the wrath of God. We're free from the power of sin. Because Christ died for it. He broke the power of sin and he has redeemed us by faith alone in him. We're free to know God. We're free to love God. And we're free to be loved by him. We are free in Christ Jesus. But as Paul wrote, this freedom that we have must not be used as an opportunity for the flesh or to indulge our sinful natures. Instead, we're called by God to use this freedom as an opportunity to glorify God with our lives by growing in our faith through obedience to Him, not to earn anything from Him in regards to our salvation, but because He's earned everything for us, we're now free to use this freedom to glorify Him, and that that glorifying Him a lot of times, most of the times, looks like obedience to him by faith alone in him as we walk by the spirit that he has given to us at our conversions. But there's a problem. There's a problem that all believers experience this side of heaven. And the problem is this, is that there's a battle we experience inside of us There's a battle between the Spirit of God and our sinful natures that still dwell in us. The power of sin has been broken, but the reality is sin still remains. The flesh is still present in our lives. And so there's this battle going on. The Spirit of God at work in us, causing us to grow, pushing us forward, giving us new desires to honor and glorify God. And then there's the flesh that still remains, that desires really nothing of God, but only things that please the self. And so this struggle is real. It's real. We all experience at any point in our lives, we'll either be living by the Spirit or we will be living by the flesh, seeking to fulfill one of these desires. The Spirit and the flesh, they're fundamentally opposed to one another. The Spirit loves God and all of his ways, while the flesh loves itself and seeks to please only itself. And again, if we're honest, we we know what this battle feels like, don't we? 
I'm going to trust that you do. And I'm going to assume that you do. And I'm also going to, in the sense, I'm assuming this because if you're a believer, this is just a reality. This is just the truth. This is what Paul's helping us to understand here is, yes, we're free, but let us not use that freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. And so there's a battle going on in all genuine believers. There's a fleshly desire that you have that rears its ugly head at times to pursue selfish things, to pursue the things that God has not called us to pursue, those things we call sin. And then there's the Spirit of God that lives in us, that's renewing us, and it's changing us. And it has desires as well, and it's pushing us forward. The power of God is at work in all believers. And so we're not in heaven yet, and until we get to heaven, there's just going to be this battle. This battle to honor and glorify God that the Spirit is developing and growing in us. And then it's battling these desires of the flesh, these sinful desires. And so we all know what this feels like at times, to want to do certain things and yet not do them. To not want to give in to these sinful desires, but then at times we do. Well, this morning in our text, Paul's going to help us sort of understand this battle and how we are to live out our lives by faith, enjoying this freedom that we have that Christ purchased for us through his death and resurrection as we really learn how to walk by faith or, in this case, to to walk a spirit-led life. So here's what I hope that we learn from this text this morning is this, that since the Christian life is a spirit-led life, we must seek to daily walk by the spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me say that again. I know it's up there. You can read it as well. Since the Christian life is a spirit-led life, it is. That's what Paul's teaching us here. We must seek to daily walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, we're going to dig into this truth by looking at three points this morning. In our first point, we learn the following. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Look at me again at verse 16 and 17. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see where I got my first point from? I'm not clever. I did not make that up. It's just right there. That's not my words. Those are God's words. It's verse 16 of God's holy word. And he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, hence the battle. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. To walk by the spirit means that we must seek to listen to and yield to the spirit's leading in our lives. I don't, I don't want this to feel mysterious. And I know sometimes it can, because we're talking about the Spirit of God at work in believers that dwells in all genuine believers. It's doing something. It's leading us. It's the power of God at work in us, 
accomplishing the good purposes of God. And this is a reality. And sometimes it can, it can feel like it can be mysterious. And my hope is I don't want to make this mysterious because it, it works. And I would say one of the ways we, we remove a little bit of that confusion is you've got to understand this is why we walk by faith and not by sight. This is, this is what it looks like to trust the Lord, that he's really at work in genuine believers. And so walking by the Spirit means we must seek to listen to God through his word and his spirit which indwells us. And not just listen to, but yield to the Spirit's power which is leading us in our lives. In Greek... It means to walk around after someone or to walk in a particular direction. So think about it like this. What he's talking about is is in the sense to walk by the Spirit is to follow the Spirit. We're walking in a certain direction. What's the direction? The direction that the Spirit of God is leading us. Where, Where do we find the Spirit of God at work guiding us and leading us? Well, I would say primarily we're going to find the Spirit of God at work in God's Word where God speaks specifically to us and finding ourselves yielding to the Spirit's work in us. And so when you think about this word to, to walk by the Spirit, think about it as like a young boy that's growing up with his dad. He, he loves his dad. And, and typically what you'll see when they're really little is all they want to do and all they really want to be is what their dad is doing and what their dad is being, if that makes sense. And so they like to follow their dads around. They'll follow their dad in the yard. They want to mow like their dad. They want to work on things like that. Just that picture is what, what Paul's getting at here when he's saying walk by the Spirit. He's, he's calling us to, to follow the Spirit. And it's leading in our lives. David Platt in his commentary on this section, he said the following. He said, we must listen to the Spirit's word, discern his will, And follow his guidance. We must listen to the Spirit's word, discern his will, and follow his guidance. Now, this is where I know it gets a little bit sort of mysterious. Because he put the word in there, discern. And I would say it takes some discernment. And I say we, we mature and we grow in understanding what it means to walk by the Spirit as, as we continue to walk by the Spirit, if that makes sense. So we grow in our experience of discerning, is the Spirit calling me to do this right now? And so we weigh what we sense the Spirit doing with what do you think? God's Word. God's Word. Because God's Word is truth. It's the truth. It's what we we sort of define everything else by. And so the Spirit is never going to lead us in another direction that's not clearly laid out in Scripture. So if Scripture says you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church, I'm sorry, if God's Word says that, and somebody comes to you and they say, well, I feel like the Spirit's telling me to divorce my wife, what would you say to them? Probably lack some discernment, right, to be nice. God leads through his word. The spirit guides us by his word. And it takes some discernment as we seek to follow the spirit's leading in our lives. And some of that discernment is needed more so, I would say, in some gray areas. Like, for example, how much should I give generously to this person? 
and other things like that. But I don't want to get off on a tangent because we've got a lot to get through. So anyways, Paul teaches us here that as we walk by the Spirit, we will also not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what that is? It's a promise. It's a pretty bold statement. He's saying, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a promise from God that is meant to help us fight our sinful natures and the sins that so easily entangle us. There's no neutral ground here. We're either walking by the Spirit and growing in Christ-likeness, or we're giving into our sinful desires and gratifying the flesh. It's very difficult to spend meaningful time in God's Word, communing with God through prayer, and at the same time, Feed our flesh with sinful lusts. That's what he's getting at here, is that these desires, they compete. They They don't sort of dwell together. You can't carry one here and the other here and and sort of pursue both of them at the same time. You're either walking by the Spirit or you're indulging the flesh. It's a gift that God gives to us, this promise to help us in understanding how the flesh works, how the Spirit guides us, and how we fight sin. It's here that we learn that fighting sin, it's, it's more than just saying no to it. And that's definitely part of it. It's, it's cutting off that fleshly desire, that, that sinful craving, whatever it is. It, it is getting rid of that, but God has also given us something to say yes to to follow hard after, to give ourselves to, that he promises that when you say yes to walking by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Say, this is why fighting sin is, it's more than just a theological battle. Growing in our faith and growing in holiness, it, it doesn't just happen, and I say just, because we just read our Bibles or because we just memorize a few scriptures, or because we just sort of show up to church every Sunday. There, there are many people, and we all could probably share our own illustrations of our own lives in this way. Many, many people, many great men and many great women who, who know their Bibles really, really well, who have led significant ministries throughout the years, helped many, many people only to have fallen because they've given in to fleshly desires. And all you gotta do is Google something like that and you'll find different people who you would at one point just, you loved them and they seem so smart and they seem so godly, but, but because they stopped walking by the Spirit and they gave in to their fleshly desires, they, they sort of fell away in many ways. And we all know what this is like, don't we? We know what it's like to walk by the Spirit, to have this desire, I'm gonna honor and glorify God. And then to have that fleshly desire there as well. And so it's not just saying no, and it's not just knowing the right things. Walking by the Spirit means we yield to the Spirit's power. We submit ourselves to God's leading in our lives, and, and we seek to follow after the Spirit's leading. And it can be difficult. It can be difficult. The Apostle Paul found this to be true himself in Romans 
chapter 7, verse 21, he said this. He said, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the sin that dwells in my members. So this is the Apostle Paul here, right? We all pretty much assume he he probably was a pretty godly man, right? Yet he finds this law at work. And what he's talking about here is he finds this law, I want to honor God. I want to do the things of the Lord. I want to give myself to what God has called me to. And at the same time, there's the sin that remains in his life. And he doesn't want to do those things, but at times he finds himself doing those things. And so it, it's a battle. It's a battle we all face. It's not an excuse because Paul's already said, don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh. He's trying to help us understand. Use that freedom to fight the flesh. Use that freedom to put sin to death. And just so you know, that's going to happen for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. This battle does not end until you either pass away and you get to go to heaven or Christ returns and he takes us there. So from this day forward, if you've never known this, until Christ returns, you're just fighting the flesh. And the way in which we fight the flesh is by walking according to the Spirit. Verse 18, Paul writes, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The point here is that life being led by the Spirit is a whole new way of living compared to before we were saved. Before we were saved, we, we just we sinned a lot. It was honestly the best we could do, but Jesus freed us from our sins. And he changed our hearts. And he poured out his Spirit upon us, giving us new desires to know him and to follow him. And he gave us desires to love him. He gave us desires to pick up a cross, deny ourselves, and he gave us his spirit to empower us that we might grow in fruitfulness in such a way that that we glorify him. And so we don't really live under the law. We live by the power of the spirit that's at work in us, changing us, that allows for us to honor God as we seek to obey the law. So there's a difference in the way in which we pursue it. So if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But it's a fight. And it's a fight we must be fighting every day. This leads us to point two, which is really a question that I hope to ask and answer. The question is this, how do we know that we're walking by the Spirit or not? How do we know if we're walking by the Spirit or if we're walking by the flesh? If this is going to be a constant battle for us and we're called to follow the Spirit but this battle is going to be there and the flesh is going to rise up. How do we know if we're walking by the Spirit or if we're walking by the flesh? Well, well, Paul's very clear here in these next few verses. To help us see the difference, he just kind of lays out what it looks like for both of them. First, he shows us what the works of the flesh are. Verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, 
as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I, I, I love how he just sets this thing up. He goes, now, now these, are, these are evident. They're evident. Like I, what he's basically, he's, he's just saying, it's very, very clear what the works of the flesh look like. And this is what they look like. They really don't look anything like Christ. They, they don't really look anything like godliness. They actually look like ungodliness. They, they look the opposite of Jesus Christ. And it's just clear. And so he, he groups them into some things. I'm just going to walk through them and say some things real quickly. But the first three all have to do with the area of sexuality. And so a work of the flesh is sexual immorality. It's basically any sex outside of the context of a husband and wife being married together. I know you got to like preface some of this and, and say, but I hope that's evident in this context. Any sexual activity outside of the context of a husband and wife who are actually married together, having made a covenant before God and other witnesses, any of that activity is a work of the flesh. Clear. Impurity and sensuality. Both of these are emphasizing the lack of self-control and giving oneself to its lust. And I would say other sexual sins. See, sex is a gift from God that he gives to a husband and wife to enjoy together. And anything outside of that context, he's saying that that's a work of the flesh. That's a work of the flesh. That's, if you find yourself engaging in those things, what he'd say is you're not walking according to the Spirit. You're not actually walking by the Spirit. You're feeding your flesh. You're feeding your sinful desires. Looking at pornography, it's, it's feeding the flesh. Adultery is feeding the flesh. It's sin. Fooling around with your girlfriend or boyfriend, somebody who you're not married to is feeding the flesh. It's gratifying those sinful desires. Sexual sin in another, with another person grieves the Holy Spirit. It's selfish. It's self-centered. It dishonors those who are made in the image of God. It violates God's good purposes for your life, for your marriage. He goes on, he says, idolatry and sorcery. These are connected in that both are the worship of false gods. Sorcery is pretty clear. It's not God. It's evil. Idolatry sometimes can get a little fuzzy because I think we, I say our culture, we, we, we sort of like to make room for idolatry to, to remain because a lot of times the things in su- that we worship aren't going to be this false god called Baal or something like that. It's just going to be money. Or it's going to be my house. Or it's going to be my job. Or it's going to be my kids. Or it's going to be my husband. Or it's going to be my friend. Or it's going to be my future spouse. And these are all really, really good things. But, but whenever we start to love something more than God and begin to give ourselves time to those things and we begin to worship those things, maybe we're not singing songs about them, but we're spending all of our money on them and we're giving it all of our time and everything revolves around that. Sometimes that becomes idolatry. 
because it begins to control us. It's all we think about. It's what we're passionate about, and we love it, but, but we make room for it because it's a good thing, right? Kids are a good thing, but it's possible to make your kids an idol where your world just revolves around them. It's a work of the flesh at times. So it takes discernment here. Money, same way, but I'm going to move on. David Platt says this, people commit idolatry when they look to someone or something other than God to give them what only God can give them. We have that, right? Can you just leave that up there for a while? Till the next one comes, please. So God calls us to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, body, and strength above everyone and everything else. And when we fail to do that, we start to slip into idolatry. He goes on and he says, enmity, that's just kind of hatred for others. Strife, kind of angry with bitter disagreements. And so you begin to see something here. Like when, when we give ourselves to conflict, to hatred, to, to being jealous wanting what somebody else possesses, fits of anger, again, referring to just, just, just bursts of anger, the ability to not control self when you don't get what you want. So instead of working through it, you yell at somebody. And I think we all know what that's like, right? Sometimes it just, it just comes. It, it came to me last night. Got a phone call or text at 9 o'clock. One of my kids locked the keys in his car. And it just happened to be at this place that I said I would never go to because it's past exit 14, exit 20 actually, far away from my house. I'm sitting there. I'm getting ready to go to bed. It's locked. Okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm trying to fight this. And all I'm thinking of like is just how this messed up my evening. I could feel it. You know what I'm talking about? You know when anger comes, you feel it. I try to control it. And my wife had it. We got, finally get in the car because I was like, let's just go. And the whole way there, she's trying to talk me out of this fit of, of anger. Like, stop it. You decided to do this. Stop it. Or you were kinder than that. But it, sometimes it doesn't work. Like, I'm trying, and I'm preaching on this the next day, and I'm just thinking, okay, what does walking by the Spirit look like? Spirit, I need you. And I'm just thinking of all the subtle ways I can communicate my anger so it's not over the top that my kids understand. And so I'm, like, trying to deduct. In my mind, I'm deducting $100 each from them to teach them a lesson because I think that's wise. Anyways, that's how it works. But Paul's just saying, it's evident. If you're an angry person, it's evident. It shows up. You feel it. And it's a work of the flesh. Dissensions and divisions. Dissensions and divisions. Divisive people are not walking by the Spirit. People who love conflict for the sake of conflict are feeding the flesh. People who are not peacemakers but seek to break things apart are walking by the flesh. People who are not trying to bring people together are feeding the flesh. And oh, by the way, it destroys everything. Envious, and he says drunkenness and orgies. And in that context, the drunkenness and orgies, he's kind of talking about, about just being addicted to things and party animals. Not worshipers, but party animals, people who, who love alcohol, people who love drugs, people who are addicted to these things because they've given themselves to these things. They all mark the flesh and not the spirit. It's pretty clear, right? 
So Paul would say, it's just evident. This is what they do. The scary part about this is it comes with a warning. And this warning is this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what he's saying here is that people who give themselves to these works of the flesh, I'm going to add in there, and aren't fighting, aren't seeking to repent, because he's not talking about being perfect. And he's not even talking about, well, these major sins over here. He's, he's pretty much included a lot of things in this list. People who love these things, these things that characterize the world, these things that are ungodly, these things that God has said no to, people who pursue these and are not repentant. He said, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's a big warning. I say, this is why we don't play around with the flesh. This is why we go to battle with the flesh. Because if you're saved, this is what he's going to get at here in just a second, People who are genuinely saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, they're not going to live in these things. You know why? Because the Spirit is at work in them. And the Spirit also produces things. See, these things battle each other so that we don't do those things. Or that when we do those things, we actually repent of those things. We turn away from them. We keep fighting. And I'd say if you find yourself in any of that list right now, what I would say, the first thing you can do to begin to fight is ask God for forgiveness and then just bring it out into the light. Find a brother or sister in Christ and just start talking with them about it. Because I guarantee you're not alone. Guarantee you're not alone. We, we fight together by faith. But the Spirit of God is at work in us and it too shows up. Verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things, there is no law. So when the Spirit of God is at work in a believer, we see that there will also be fruit that is evident in a believer's life. Tim Keller says the following, he says, if someone has the Spirit in them, if they are Christians, the fruit will grow. The fruit will grow. Whatever a Christian's life is like, the fruit of the Spirit will burst through. This is why he can say, people who give themselves to the flesh and walk in these things won't inherit the kingdom of God. Because basically what he's saying, you're really not saved. Because if you're saved, the fruit of the Spirit, it's just going to burst through. It's going to show up. It's not going to make room for the fleshly sins, these desires that show up, it's not going to make room for them to remain. They just burst through. This also doesn't mean, though, that all of this fruit is present all at the same time, immediately at your conversion. Think about it when you plant an apple tree. It takes a while, doesn't it? Fruit, he, he's intentionally using this, this illustration of fruit. It, it grows. It grows over time, and, and that's what happens in a believer's life. This fruit eventually shows up. So, so what is the fruit? He just says love. A genuine love for God and a genuine love for others. And this is not a touchy-feely type of love. This is a sacrificial, I will lay my life down to serve you because I love you. And he mentions joy. 
This is a feeling of satisfaction and delight in God and His ways. No matter the circumstances. This is why James can write to his leaders or his readers when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And then Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, actually commands them, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice always. And the reason he can make a command like this, he's not saying, manufacture this. He just knows it's present in all believers. Joy will find its way out into a genuine believer's life because that's what the Spirit does. Now, we can be happy and we can do certain things and we're called to do certain things, but ultimately what he's getting at here, he's trying to help us understand, we're dependent upon the Spirit for this. Joy is a gift from God. Peace. The Spirit creates peace in a believer's life. It it gives us a confidence in the power of God at work in our lives, as well as an assurance that we've been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And these things matter. They matter when when the world gets turned upside down and when we screw up. Because the Spirit shows up and it reminds us, no, you have peace with God. Yeah, but I just sinned. Right, but you can repent because Christ died for it. And it doesn't define you, but Christ defines you. Patience, just this ability to endure. It's the Spirit's work. Kindness. It's the ability to deal with others in a friendly, considerate, and generous way. And you want a living illustration of that, I would say look at Riley Watkins. One of the kindest guys I know. I had an opportunity, I told him this the other day, he's just, just kind, just interact with him. He's just going to be kind to you. And many of you as well, I could go off on this for all of you in, in illustrations, but, but he's kind. Goodness, it's closely related to kindness. It speaks of being faithful to others, seeking their best interests, looking to build them up instead of tear them down. Faithfulness, it's just being genuine and loyal to do what you say you're going to do, even when it's tough sometimes. Gentleness, quality of being kind, tender and humble, towards others. Finally mentioned here is self-control. The ability to say no to self. Or in this particular situation, the ability to say no to the flesh. To not give in to that desire to do whatever it is you want to do whenever it is you want to do it. But just to say, no, I'm not doing it. These are all fruits of the Spirit. It's a side note here. If you're not saved, you can't really manufacture this. And I say this to parents. I know we've been talking to parents a lot in this letter. But we're raising kids. And we're seeking to train them in the Lord's ways. And we're going to teach them about these things. I'm going to teach my kids to be patient. You're going to teach your kids to be patient. And you're going to teach them to have self-control. And what we're learning here is you can go so far. And that's it. Because these are the fruit of the Spirit. And the way I like to say it, sort of in my terms, is we can raise good citizens, but we can't make them Christians. So we can teach our kids to be good kids, but what we ultimately want is we want the Spirit to dwell in their hearts and produce this fruit in them, right? And so one of the best things we can do as parents 
And one of the best things you can do as a wife or a husband or whatever it is you are right now at this point and somebody's in your life, I'd say is pray for that person. Because this is a work of God that must be done in people's lives for these things to grow and bear fruit. And I would just remind you, it takes time. And this leads us to our final point. And this one's short. As the Spirit grows in us, our grows us in our faith, we must keep in step with the Spirit. And so, yes, we're absolutely dependent upon the Spirit. Spirit's got to do this. But Paul says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the power of sin has been broken. Christ died for it. Then he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, the flesh no longer reigns in our lives. The Spirit is doing this work in us. And Paul tells us that we are to depend on the Spirit's power, and we are to keep in step with the Spirit. And what this means is we're to keep following, keep listening, and keep yielding ourselves to God's leading in our lives. See, the Christian life is a spirit-led life. It looks a lot like us drawing near to God. It's a life of absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ for everything. It's a life of purposefully and intentionally picking up a cross, denying ourselves, and following Jesus Christ. It's a life of continually putting to death the the desires of the flesh and seeking to cry out to God for more of the Spirit's power in our life to do what God has called us to do. So I have one application for us this morning. Every day, every moment of your day, ask God to lead you. And empower you by his spirit. Let's pray. Then I'm going to share that book in a second. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I just ask that you would empower us to be your people. That you would lead us in your ways. That you would give us discernment to the spirit's work. That we would yield ourselves to the things that you are calling us to do. Lord, oh, we ask for more fruit. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength to fight the flesh and to follow the Spirit's leading, that we might be fruitful and that you ultimately would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Um, Lastly, this book is in our bookstore, and so it's called The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, um, written by Donald Whitney. And I would say nobody has shaped me more in regards to how I read the Bible, why I read the Bible, why I memorize Scripture, when I memorize Scripture, how I pray, when I pray, why I meet together in the context of a local church, um, worship, fasting, stewardship, silence and solitude, journaling. So this book is all about those things, the spiritual disciplines, means of God's grace. And what I'm recommending this to you is, it's back there in the bookstore, I think it's 10 bucks, is this is this book will help you help us position ourselves before God so that we might 
listen to God and the Spirit guiding us and leading us, and then yield ourselves to Him. Does that make sense? Very helpful book, very practical, just gets into the nuts and bolts of reading, prayer, fasting, stewardship, all the different spiritual disciplines. Not that we have to do them all at the same time, it just gives us options. So with that, you're dismissed. Have a great Sunday.